Welcome to Like a Watered Garden, a Come Follow Me inspired mental health and personal growth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Hibbert, clinical psychologist, author, speaker, wife and mom, and member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I welcome all who love the Holy Scriptures to join me as I share the tools and skills I've learned as a clinical psychologist over the past 20 years and combine them with the insights and application we are able to obtain from the Holy Scriptures to help you overcome, become, and flourish in physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual ways so that we may feel, as Isaiah says, like a watered garden and a spring whose waters fail not. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I love the principles of psychology, mental health, and personal growth, and I especially love combining the two. That's what we'll be doing here. Now let's get started. Welcome back to Like a Watered Garden. It's me, Dr. Christina Hibbert. I'm so excited that you're here with me today as we discuss the end of the epistle of Paul, the apostle, to the Romans. And just like we talked about last time, this is, it's later in his ministry, but these epistles don't necessarily come in chronological order. And today we find that after Paul, in the first six chapters, has sort of gone through and expounded on the central and saving doctrines of the gospel in basically in Romans 1 through 8, although we will be covering 7 and 8 today. But most of the time that we talk today will be on those things that Paul discussed concerning how do we apply the gospel in our church and civic life. And this leads us right into our question of the week for Romans 7 through 16, which was pretty simple one for me as I was reading through. I just felt like, and I don't know how you felt, that I was flooded with, I was highlighting and I was writing down all these ideas for how to just become a better human, how to live a better life, how to be a better citizen, a better member of the church, how to be more faithful. And we're going to go through all those things, but really our question of the week is, how do we learn self-mastery? It's a big, big word, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about it, and, and I've got some great psychological tools that go along with this, because I've actually spent quite a bit of time studying the whole principle of self-mastery, and any time I find it in the scriptures, I highlight it, because it's such, to me, such an important principle, and um, I'll, I'll explain why in a moment, but... We did find that here, and it is self-mastery in the footnotes in the topical guide for Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and we get this idea of we don't want to be conformed to the world, but rather we can be transformed by, by grace, by God, by faith by all the things that we talk about today. And if you look down at the bottom, when it gets to that word transformed, it says self-mastery, in my scriptures anyway. And that idea of self-mastery is so huge and profound. It started me on this whole trek a few years ago when I, well, actually years and years ago, probably 20 years ago, I had this idea for mastery of motherhood actually developed it when I was in graduate school and I had two young children 
and I was getting my doctorate and we had to develop a program. And at the time I developed a program because I thought mothers need not just help for when they're really in crisis, but we need a place to go that can, can serve us and teach us and, and mentor us and we can connect with each other. And it just seemed like there was nothing like that. And so I developed this program, which also helped with postpartum depression and adjustment and parenting skills. And I called it Mastery of Motherhood, M-O-M. Well, fast forward to, let's see, 2018, I guess. And I finally felt like I was doing well enough in life. I'd been through many, many trials, but I I really started to feel like, okay, I was working on myself and my self-worth. I felt like I was really feeling that self-worth for the first time as a mom or for the first time like in that solid way. Do you know what I mean? It's like you might get pieces of self-worth throughout your life, but if you struggle with self-worth and this idea of who am I, am I good enough, am I lovable, whatever that sounds like for you. And I have learned, as I've said on this show many, many times, and you can go see the many episodes that talk about self-worth, self-esteem, self-acceptance. We just had self-acceptance a couple weeks ago. And hear me say the same thing, that this is at its core the thing that most people in the world deal with. It's our biggest problem. And it underlies everything else. If you don't understand your true worth and value, how are you supposed to help your children understand their true worth and value? How do we go out in the world and love and serve and act and be without becoming either prideful and superiority complex or feeling inferior and having that sense of I'm not enough or compared to other people, I'm not good. I need to be better. So at this time in 2018, I was working on this and and it was only after I had done six months or so of work with Um, I'd been doing therapy for a few years after my friend had committed suicide and I transitioned from that to working with a high performance coaching program that was helping me to really go for it in my career because I felt like who, who would dare to write a book or develop a program called Mastery of Motherhood? I I felt like that was very aggressive of me and... Um, I didn't want anybody to think that I thought I was better at being a mom than anybody else. And so especially as a mother, but also especially in my career, which I'd always put second to my family or even to my husband's career as a dentist, because he was the main provider for our family when I'd have to take time off for having a baby and (laughs) taking care of kids. And I was the primary caregiver. But I finally got to this point, and then in 2018, I was nominated Mother of the Year, and I was actually selected as Mother of the Year for Arizona. And I thought, how ironic that this crazy honor that I didn't even know was a thing, really, um, came out of nowhere right when I finally had found that place of self-worth. I didn't need an honor to tell me that I was worthy, but 
it was like I get I got that kind of as like that little miracle bonus on top of the work that I'd done. And to me, it was like, see, you've done all this work and now you can accept this honor and be humble and grateful. And you can also go and then help the other women there who were amazing to realize that they are wonderful humans and it's okay to to shine and to share our light and to say that, yes, I believe I can master something. And that's what self-mastery really is all about. It's about can we master something, someone. It's not about mastering some other person. That is bad. That's violence. That's, you know, that's slavery. That's all the things that are evil. No, 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 no. If you think you can master your child, or even if you think you can become a master, like I will be the best of everybody in the world, in a comparison way, you've got it wrong. Self-mastery is about ourselves. It's only about ourselves. And it's about how do we keep growing renewing, as it says here in verse 2 in chapter 12, renewing our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for us. And you can go back in the past weeks, um, past months, and see we've talked about how do we know and understand and do God's will for us? How do we accept things in life that feel difficult? How do we change how do we trust in God? These all go hand in hand. And today we're going to talk about how do we really learn and practice self-mastery. Now, to just start off, this is a quote from a beautiful talk called The Power of Self-Mastery from April 2000. And this is President James E. Faust. He says, Basically, he says self-mastery is the ultimate test of our character. He says, self-mastery is a challenge for every individual. Only we can control our appetites and passions. Self-mastery cannot be bought by money or fame. It is the ultimate test of our character. It requires climbing out of the deep valleys of our lives and scaling our own Mount Everest. End quote. Now, my friends, let's start off. What? First of all, are your current deep valleys? Because I feel like a lot of times it feels like we've only got the deep valleys. And believe me, I understand that. I've had so many, not just weeks or months, but years of my life, throughout my life, where I have felt like, seriously, can I just be on a mountain? Even if it's just a hill. <laughs> even, if, even if I get to the top of that hill and then it's like, oh, but the real Mount Everest is like, 50 hills away, um, it just feels like you, you can only see valley, right? But then there are other times where you feel like you're, you're climbing Mount Everest and it's this Herculean effort and you're giving it all you've got and you get to the summit and it's beautiful and you're like, wow, it's beautiful. And then you realize, yeah, but this is only the first summit. And when you're talking about Mount Everest, there are a lot of beautiful places where you can stop and look out. There are a lot of places that might feel like, hey, I've gotten to the top of this part, but really it's like, 
No, you've just gotten to where the Sherpas are. You're just about to begin, really. <laughs> have you ever felt that way? I have felt that so many times in my life and prayed so many times to Heavenly Father, like, seriously? Can I not please just get to the top of the mountain, to the top top, and just be able to look around? And I promise I'll go, I'll go climb another mountain if, if you let me just kind of like get down from this one and safely go. I'll go to another mountain. But for this part of my life, can I just be at a peak and not always in the valley? But I will say, don't you think, that most often it's the peaks and valleys that come together. And if you have been mountain climbing, I am a hiker. I love to hike when I feel well enough to do so. It's one of my favorite activities with my husband. And you do. You kind of go up and down and up again and down and up again. And even though you're climbing, it can feel like you're going down and up. And it can feel like there's a lot of down, even though you, you're going upward. But it's just a slow incline. Anybody feel that? <laughs> I've felt that too. So what are your Mount Everest right now? And what are your valleys that you're dealing with? And I want you to just pause or to make a mental note to later set aside time to pause and write these things down. Now remember, we have study guides for each episode, almost all the episodes, on our website, likeawateredgarden.com. You can also, on that very first page, Go to the bottom and join our email list. I'd also love it if you would just take a minute, if you enjoy the podcast, to send it to a friend and to leave a review wherever you listen. Just a quick review. That helps me out so much. And of course, join our Facebook group, Like a Watered Garden Discussion group. Honestly, I I find it very interesting that in that group, and I have I've invited a lot of people to join that group and people have found us that do not listen to the podcast and they're from all kinds of faith backgrounds from Christian to non-denominational kind of just faith to believing in spirit and universe and higher power, but not even God. And what I love is that I I really did start this week trying to put more questions in, and I love hearing the different answers and seeing us come together and have a place where we can not only be civil with each other, but talk about these good and peaceable and beautiful and holy and acceptable things that we read about here in Romans 12 the things of God, the things that we know are the words of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ just by sharing our thoughts or encouraging someone and saying, that's really interesting. Of course, we don't have any contention there. I don't let that happen. And we haven't had any problems. But if we ever did, I would remove it. So come and join us. It's it's fun to get to talk about the gospel with people from all different walks of life and share the gospel in that way. And of course, you can find us on Instagram at likeawater.garden or me, Dr. Christina Hibbert. All right, enough background. We start with Romans, well, we start with Romans chapter eight, really, because we, we did one through seven last time. Um, or actually, we did one through six last time. So we're doing seven through 16. It's a lot of chapters. And what I really appreciated when I saw chapter 7, it says right in the description, the the little uh, summary at the top, 
that Paul delights in the law of God after the inward man. So when we're talking about self-mastery, we are talking about the, quote, inward man, are we not? And woman. We are talking about who we are, who we are striving to be, who we want to be. And it's and really what he's talking about here, he's talking about the law and faith. And of course, we believe in both. The law is important. There are laws of God. There are laws, commandments given to us by Jesus Christ, given to everyone, but also given to each of us personally that we just know we're not supposed to do certain things because for us, they're just not going to be good, right? And how do we know that? Is it because it's written on a tablet and, and you know, hanging on our wall? No. It's because it's something inward in us, right? And just so you know, there is this inspired translation of chapter 7, Romans 7, 5 through 27, which is at the back of my scriptures. If you have the the uh, King James Version of the Bible with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints version, you also get the Joseph Smith translation. And again, if you are not a member of my specific denomination, just read it and see what you think. You know, to me, it helps me understand and it does feel inspired. And basically, what it says is only Christ has power to permanently change our souls for good. So let me ask you that question. Do you believe that is true? Do you believe that we are the ones who change ourselves? Or do you believe that Christ is the one who changes us? (laughs) Or a combination? Let's go to chapter 8, verse 1. It's talking about those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And it's talking about like, do we walk after the spirit? Are we listening to the promptings, the commandments, the thoughts, the ideas, the do this, don't do that, the become this, or maybe you should try that because really that's my will. Are we walking after the flesh, like the world, whatever feels good, whatever makes us richest, most popular, famous, you know, brings us the most money, the biggest house, the most beautiful people, or are we walking after the spirit? And it doesn't mean we can't have those good things. We can. A lot of times the spirit is teaching us how to have that joy and happiness and peace and goodness and make a good income and support our family and have beautiful things in life and be surrounded by good and beautiful people. But are we walking after the spirit? And this is kind of what, you know, these chapters talk about this spiritually minded life. It's life and peace in Romans 8, 6. If we are coming after the things of the spirit and otherwise, you know, I think of the world There were some times here where he was, you know, talking about different things. And I thought, ugh, that's the world we live in. Isn't it true that we live in this world that is really about, well, what's, what have I done for myself? 
What am I doing? How am I achieving? It's all about me, me, me. And it's not about what the Lord is enabling me to do or what he has given me. I was reading an article from BYU Magazine because that's my alma mater. And I can't remember who it was from right now, but it was this idea that when we express gratitude, we shouldn't express gratitude for, well, not that we shouldn't, but instead of expressing gratitude for things, people, experiences, whatever it may be, what if we expressed gratitude to? So for everything that we, exp- that we feel grateful for, are we expressing our gratitude to God, the Father, to Jesus Christ? Are we expressing gratitude to those who actually gave it to us? They who are our God. Are we doing that? And that, I think, is the difference between self-mastery in this sense of doing it spiritually with the inward man or woman versus the natural man or woman. We read in the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, Mosiah chapter 3, verse 19, for the natural man or woman is an enemy to God and has been and will be forever unless he or she yields to the enticings of the spirit and putteth off that natural man or woman and becometh a saint. I love that. I love that verse because it reminds me so much that like we've read like we read back in in Acts that the spirit is or not even in Acts even in you know in just in the in the four gospels that the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. You know, Peter and those who are asked to stay awake with Christ, he said it himself. I can see that you want this. Your spirit wants this. It's it's willing. But the flesh is so weak. And Paul says that even here. He talks about temptations of the flesh versus, you know, his inward man and the spirit. And this kind of idea of, I'm really doing my best, God, to follow you and do all that you want of me. But, man, my body makes it hard, right? To quote from President Russell M. Nelson, he said he talks specifically of trials related to our physical bodies. And yes, you know I relate to this. I know many of you do too. He says, quote, not an age in life passes without temptation, trial, or torment experienced through your physical body. But as you prayerfully develop self-mastery, desires of the flesh may be subdued. And when that has been achieved, you may have the strength to submit to your heavenly father, as did Jesus, who said, quote, not my will, but thine be done, end quote. Continuing, quote, when deepening trials come your way, remember this glorious promise of the Savior, quote, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne, end quote. That's from a talk called Self-Mastery by Russell M. Nelson, 1985. And, you know, 
with our bodies, temptations, trials, torments. Anybody experience that with your body? Absolutely. Do you have desires or drives or habits? It could just, it doesn't have to be sexual sin or sexual habits or appetites that are, you know, if you're married and, and you know, you can't have that. But it could be overeating or, you know, pleasurable things that the flesh wants like alcohol. And some people have more trouble with some of these than others, but we all have something. And not only that, but some of those things can lead to health problems, conditions long-term, but we also have those health conditions and problems that come no fault of our own. It just comes because of life. And they can be trials and torments as I have been, you know, experiencing these many years. So our physical bodies, we can have mastery over. That's one part. But what about, are we able to master our spirits? That's a whole other game, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, indeed it is. I will tell you, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Before we kind of go on, I want to share with you an article. This is from the Asia Pacific Journal of Multidisciplinary Research. And really it's about, it, it, it uses a, a principle or a, an idea that contains seven principles. And this is by the concept of Murado. He is a man who wrote, wrote a book on self-mastery. And I had read this actually when I was beginning to write my Mastery of Motherhood book, which again, it's not about becoming the best at or saying I'm done with it or I'm finished or it's about self-mastery in the areas of motherhood. And I do intend to still finish it because I was halfway done when I got cancer. But it talks about this and he wrote this book, Self-Mastery, and he outlined seven self-mastery skills. And I want to go ahead and list these. I'm going to have them listed also on the study guide. And you can, as you read, look for examples of these that Paul talks about. So seven different skills when it comes to self-mastery. Number one, learning to think. You know, as a man thinketh, so is he. James Allen, the book, As a Man Thinketh. We, we get the Savior talking about the same idea. And we become what we think, don't we? It becomes, if we focus and dwell on one thing and we never try to change, we're going to become that thing because we're so focused on it. So we, we have to learn to think in a way that is mastered, that is according to the master with a capital M. That's another way we can think of self-mastery is bringing ourselves in line with the master, right? Second, learning to intuit. Some people, I have seen this so much as a psychologist working with individuals. Some people are very good at intuition and just sensing things and trusting that and going with their gut. Others, it's hard and it's a skill that can be learned. Okay, same thing as learning to think. Some people are overthinkers. Some people don't ever think. They don't want to think. They don't want to think before they do. I've had kids like that. (laughs) Both of those, both of those kinds. Um, So learning to intuit. Number three, learning to feel. 
about, I don't know, I would say it was about five or six years into my career as a psychologist, which has been about 23 or four years so far as an actual psychologist. And I, I, I really started off doing a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is cognitive thinking, behavioral behavior. So by changing your thinking and looking at how you feel in relation to how you think, you can change how you feel, you can change how you behave, and you can change the outcomes. I still love that theory and that model, and it's a great one. But I really started to realize, but nobody knows really how to deal with feelings. And there are other techniques and models that focus most solely on feelings that don't really focus on thoughts. And so I kind of started to use both and developed my own way of teaching people to feel. And I actually have that an acronym, that an acronym, acronym, F-E-E-L. It's in my book, This Is How We Grow. If you haven't checked that out, you can check that out on amazon.com. It stands for freely experience emotion with love. We have to freely let the emotions come that we don't like. We have to let it be experienced in our body, meaning it has to be able to sit with us and feel us and, or we feel it and sit with it in our body. Usually we're trying to escape and not feel it. And we let it be there. We freely experience the emotion in our body. We see where it is. We, we describe how it feels, what it looks like, what it sounds like. You know, if you were to give it a color, there's so many ways you can describe or tune into that emotion. Where is it in your body? What kind of action does it have? And then with love. We do all of that with love and kindness and generosity for ourselves because it's hard. So learning to feel is a skill of self-mastery. We have to be able to feel things, but we also have to be able to deal with what we feel. Number four, learning to do. We need to take action. We need to do something. Some people are doers. Some people are not so much. (laughs) And then you have people in between. But learning to do is another skill. And it's something that, you know, with I have a couple of kids who, who struggle with waking themselves up or following through on commitments they make to themselves or goals that they set. That is part of learning to do, right? Number five, learning to communicate. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I do couples therapy and have done for years. And that is the number one thing we work on. How do you just talk to each other in ways that will not provoke or cause problems or lead to further damage? How do we talk to other people in respectful and and in ways that honor them, in ways that open the dialogue and don't immediately close it off or immediately cause a reaction in the other person, that we're not provoking or you know, pushing the bear kind of thing. It's a, those, those are important skills, and we will definitely have an episode on how to communicate coming up here because that is hugely important. Number six, learning to lead. Some of us are born to lead, kind of naturally step up and try to, you know, help in a situation or maybe are more likely to try to help, you know, get someone to feel comfortable or to say, sure, I'll volunteer for that. Others 
much more reserved or quiet. And at certain times of our lives, even, we might feel one way or the other. I feel like I am a natural born leader. I've always liked and enjoyed kind of leading. But I've had so many times where I felt like, ugh, I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to ask anything of me, especially when I haven't felt well or when I'm struggling with mental illness. And lately, I just, you know, kind of had to admit the past week that I have been feeling depressed again. And I'm doing everything I can. And I'm even starting up my therapy again. But, you know, the the nightmares have returned and, and the trauma is back. And I've had some very triggering and traumatic episodes you know, with some doctors and things that have happened lately that, that make it hard. And so right now, I am trying to just take care of me, but I'm also trying to be a leader in my family and in my home. And I'm also trying to be a leader by sharing some of what I go through online to show others that, hey, I can talk about depression and I can say that I'm struggling and get help and, and I can get over it. And so can you. And finally, number seven, learning to be. What does that mean to you? What do each of these mean to you? I I invite you, as I've got them written down in our, our study guide here, what do these mean to you? And as you think about that, what do you want to do about that, right? What do you want to do about it? If it means something to you, then, then what do you want to do to work on these? Which of these need more attention than the others? Okay. So those are some psychological tips that can help us with these chapters. And now I just want to go through and kind of point out some of the things that I saw related to self-mastery. And of course, you can share whatever comes your comes up with you, you know, in our group or message me, let me know what you found. I love hearing from you. And I'm so grateful for those who do reach out and share with me because I love to talk about the gospel, not just here by myself, but with people every day, everywhere, all the time. Okay. So let me know anytime. First of all, as we go back to chapter eight, I mean, I have outlined so many things, but it talks about our present suffering and that it's nothing compared to the glory that will come in chapter eight and that we have been predestined. It talks about this word of predestined. Now, that doesn't mean that we have been, you know, set in stone exactly what's going to happen, but rather that we have been given callings in this life. Right? We lived before we came here. We are children of the divine, which we are reminded of by Paul again in these verses and chapters. And as such, we are here to learn. We're here to, to grow. We're here to become. We're here to overcome, become, and flourish, as I like to say. And that our trials really do bring blessings for us and this glory that can come for us is it can give us such hope and these words just stand out to me you know in 24 we are saved by hope hope that is seen is not hope for a man that seeth what doth he hope for but if we hope for that we see not then do we with patience wait for it again we might see something or we might not see it But faith, hope, and charity. We talked about faith last time, and he talks so much again about faith here. 
And here in, in 29, you know, this to foreknow that he did predestinate that we should, you know, that Christ would come and that he would be the firstborn and that he would call others like us and he would justify us, verse 30, and glorify us. And I, I love this verse, Romans 8, 31. I have written this down. I've had it on my walls. I've re- memorized it and repeated it to myself so many times. But what shall we then say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? My friends, if God before us, if he is for us, how can anything be against us? How can we not learn and practice self-mastery and become more like him? Hopefully that be part at the end is, is who we want to be, how to simply be, to sit with ourselves, to be with God, to practice stillness and meditation and holiness and invite the spirit and sit with the spirit, but also who we want to become. And hopefully we want to become like him because we have that potential, which he reminds us again in verse 17, chapter 8 here. And if children then heirs... No, let's back up, actually. In verse in oh, verse 15, we got to back up. So it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, my friends. And if you look down in my scriptures again, where it says heirs of God, it says man, and I'll add woman, it's our birthright, but our potential to become like our heavenly father and heavenly mother, to become divine, to become God-like, like God. We have that potential in us. We have that potential to shine. That's what self-mastery can do for us. As we master these things in ourselves, we do become more and more like Jesus, who mastered all and was perfect and was in perfect control of himself and yet had the flexibility that he needed. It wasn't, he just was perfect. And we get to become like him. How do you feel when you hear that? Does that excite you? When you read those verses, what do you think? How do you feel? And what do you feel your potential might be? Might you eventually have that glory revealed in you? Do you Have you ever had a hint of that? Because I see it in others all the time. I feel like that's my superpower, or at least one of them. I think we all have superpowers, but one of mine has always been to see the divine and the potential in others. I love my job as a psychologist because I get to see what others don't see yet in themselves and help them to see and feel and understand it too. And you, my friend, who is listening right now, You have that same divinity, that spark of a divine father and mother. You are a spirit child of God and an heir, a joint heir, 
of Jesus Christ, of all the things that he will be blessed with, we can be blessed with too. (sighs) That to me excites me and gives me that kind of like, okay, I want to go for it. I want to do all that I can. And I even wrote here in my scriptures, all will suffer. But if I quote, suffer with him, I will become like him. I wrote, I must hope with patience for that which I see not yet. And then I wrote, the Holy Ghost makes intercession for my infirmities too. I love that verse, that idea. It says this in chapter 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Oh my goodness. And down here in the footnotes, it says Holy Ghost gifts of, and that says communication and signs. The Holy Ghost communicates with us and with our God for us. It is the gift of the Holy Ghost is the third member of the Godhead with our father in heaven and our savior, Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, whose job is to communicate to us and help us to feel and to learn and to grow and to know our divine gifts. When we're practicing self-mastery, these things, when we're learning to feel and to think and to, to become and to be and, you know, and to, to communicate and to lead and all these things, we're also learning about our spiritual gifts and our strengths. And my friends, we have been given so many gifts and strengths, each of us, and they are so varied and wide, we couldn't even list all of them. Every person is so unique and individual, and the talents and the gifts that we've been given are so personal. But part of self-mastery is finding and using those to become more like our Savior. And this verse here that talks about the Spirit, the Spirit making this intercession for us. I want to read you a quote here about that because it's such an important idea. Elder Bruce R. McConkie, he says that the Holy Ghost gives direction to the faithful causing them to know and speak the mind and will of the Lord. Perfect prayers are always inspired by the Spirit, and they are always answered because the Spirit knows beforehand what ye should pray for, end quote. That is what the Spirit can do for us. Now in chapter 10, and we're going to kind of skip over chapter 9, he talks more about this idea of being foreordained and um, this idea of uh, becoming that we're talking about already, but let's let's focus on chapter ten. Really, he goes into this idea of the righteousness of faith versus the law, and he's not saying that one is much better than the other. No, 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 no. What he's saying is that we need to live by the law of faith, and when we're living by the law of faith, we are following the laws of God. And not the law of Moses or other, the laws of the world. Yes, also, we are told to, to be good, you know, especially in the Book of Mormon, it talks about being, a, you know, a good citizen. And, and we need to follow what our country's laws are. We shouldn't be going out breaking laws as a good Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. But in this verse in chapter 10, it says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, does that sound like our day? And how do you see that playing a role in our day? That people are ignorant of God and righteousness and Christ? And even people who say, I believe in good, I just don't believe in God, they're cutting that out. And so we are submitting ourselves, people are submitting themselves as the good, the example, the righteous. But Paul says, no, 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 that's not what we need to do. We need to, in verse 13, call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And in verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we are not hearing the word of God, if we are not seeking and listening and hearing the word of God, how are we able to practice and learn self-mastery? We are going to be only doing the worldly version of self-mastery, which is I will become who I feel I want to become, what I want in my life. And, and I have seen this ruin families and lives, you know, I... I have seen this, you know, people changing their minds. I've decided I don't want to be a parent anymore, so I'm going to leave my family, you know, and and it's a selfish way to live versus what God's telling us to do. That doesn't mean that we might not ever get divorced or, or that we might not have to have space from our family members, but when God's leading us to do it, it's very different than just saying, I just want to be who I want to be and whatever I feel. And that idea of learning that law of you know, learning to feel, it's not learning to feel whatever feels good to you, but to feel with other people, to have empathy, to have compassion, to keep others you know, being a leader, being, having that communication. It all involves not just us, but others. And to me, those laws, those seven laws of self-mastery, I view those through the first two laws of God, that we are to love our God with all our might, mind, heart, and strength. And that we are to love our neighbor like ourselves and actually as God loves us, as Jesus loves us. And so if we, you know, look at chapter 11 here and verse 22 in particular, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Like, yeah, God, it's hard. It's hard to stay in the gospel of Jesus Christ because our bodies don't want to. That natural man or woman wants to take us off and do whatever. Whatever feels good, whatever we think, whatever the world's doing, it's so much easier in a sense. But no, he says, on them which fell severity. So if we fall away, then yeah, it feels severe, God's punishments. But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou shalt be cut off. And I put continue in his goodness and stay on the train. Now that comes from a a book by Stephen R. Robinson. And I think it's the one following Christ. There's believing Christ and there's following Christ. And he gives this analogy. It's kind of like the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like when we decide that we want to follow Jesus and we decide to get baptized and become part of his church, we get on the train. We're on, let's call it the Jesus train. I kind of like that. You know, we're on the Jesus train. We're on the gospel train. And a lot can happen on that train. Okay? And everybody, you know, everybody's on this train. It's a very big train. <laughs> it goes on for eternity. But the only way, really, as long as we're on the train, 
there's still going to be problems and issues and hard things. And, and it's going to be tough. We're still going to have our bodies and infirmities and illness and, and struggles and trials and all those things. But the point is, don't get off the train. The people that get off the train and go, I don't want to be part of this train anymore. I, I'm not, I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not going to do what he says because I don't believe. I don't have faith. And don't work on it. Even if you, you feel like, I don't know where my faith is or I'm struggling right now and you're working on it. You're praying. You're trying to ask him. You're still on the train. It's when we jump off or get off at the next stop that the problems come. And though he says, you know, if you stay on the train, we're going to make it to the end because the train is Jesus. It's Jesus and his grace gets us there. It's not us on foot trying to get there ourselves. Just like self-mastery can't be us just climbing a ladder, checking off a list. We have to, Jesus gets us there. He lifts us up. He moves us. He takes us there. He gets us to heaven and in heaven, he saves us. And even he saves us here and now every day if we let him. So stay on the train. Don't let the world win. In these last few chapters, there are just so many ideas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list some of these and share some of these. But I really want you to go through. Maybe you even take um, you know, a certain color marker or highlighter for self-mastery and just sort of highlight things that stand out to you as things you might want to work on or that maybe you have worked on and seen progress with because we want to celebrate the ways that we have grown, which I, you know, I, I have grown in patience so much and yet I'm still impatient, but I'm so much more patient than I used to be four years ago when I was first diagnosed with cancer. I've grown in humility. And I can say that, and it's not being prideful. It's still, I can say that with humility, and hopefully you can feel that, because I can say, boy, have I been humbled. (laughs) And yet, you know, I feel like I can honestly say that I'm grateful for all of the trials that I've had because of what I've learned. I wouldn't want them again. But they have taught me humility and love and charity, that pure love of Christ, and that I trust the Lord and my faith is strong. I've grown in faith. But there's so much more self-mastery that needs to happen for me in those areas and in so many others. And I feel like chapter 12 of Romans is just a huge list of these things. So kind of let me go through some of these, you know, in, in verse number one, he's talking about, you know, presenting your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And this is talking about self-sacrifice, serving others, using your body to serve others, also keeping your body pure and holy, treating your body like a temple, something that you honor and revere versus just trashing your body, putting whatever into it. That could go for so many different vices and so many different things according to our health and wellness and, and um, lusts and desires and sins and all these things and goodness. But also using that body to then be able to go out and serve others, right? And then we get this verse in chapter, in verse two, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man or woman the measure of faith. I wrote, be humble. I circled grace. I circled not to think of himself more highly. I circled to think soberly and with faith, to be transformed by renewing our mind. How do you renew your mind? And what does being transformed mean or look like to you? What what do you think that that would entail for you? To not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by God and to renew your mind through grace. I went on because I felt like you know, to be, have that good and acceptable and perfect will of God to do his will, it can only happen again through grace, that train that takes us there. Let's call it the grace train. It really is the grace train, isn't it? It gets us there. But our faith has to be part of that too. And then he talks about how our body and the members of our body being our hands and our legs and our arms and our head and our organs. And these are all the different, quote, members of our body. But of course, this is a metaphor also for the body of the church of Jesus Christ and the members of his gospel. And he says, you know, not every member of our body, not every part of our body has the same function. We all have different functions, but they're all important. And so we, being many, are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, right? And according to our faith, again, we have each been given spiritual gifts. We'll talk more about this in other chapters. What are your spiritual gifts? Have you been working to develop them? Where do you feel like you need more work right now? And again, they only come through grace, through faith. I see words like do it with simplicity. When you rule, rule with diligence. That there's that being a leader. Be diligent and be simple. Not complicated. Have mercy. Right? Have mercy. Jesus has mercy for you. Have mercy for others. And cheerfulness. Think about leaders and when you are leading, one of those principles of self-mastery. Are you doing so with cheerfulness and mercy? Are you showing others hope? I feel like even when I am sharing a video online where I'm crying or I'm angry or I'm showing clear emotion and it's just very raw, which I have done many of, um, I believe in being real and that's real. But I feel like there's always this hope of, you know, I, I feel this, but this too shall pass or this is what I'm doing to overcome, or you know what? You're not alone. It's okay to feel this. It's okay. It's part of the deal. Maybe you've been through trauma too, and recognizing it is the first step. Mercy and cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Right? Love. Just just. Love others without holding back. Be sincere. Be real. Again, there's that word literally down in the footnotes. Sincere, unfeigned, real love. 
That's what I want to be. That's part of my self-mastery. Be kind and affectionate. Show brotherly love. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Continue instant in prayer. Pray always that ye may come off conqueror, right? That ye may conquer Satan. We learn from the Doctrine and Covenants. Be hospitable. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. This reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount, the Savior's words to bless them which despitefully use and persecute you. Right? And, you know, be of the same mind with one another. Be honest. Be peaceable. Trust the Lord. I wrote here, overcome evil. Do good. Be humble and compassionate. Sincere, full of love persist in adversity, diligent, full of zeal, be sincere and real, offer mercy, be cheerful, unified, full of faith and hope. That's a long list, my friends. And it's not that we have to do all that or that we even can do all that on our own, especially, but really in Romans 13, 14, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought of putting on an outfit or armor. Do we put on the armor of God? Do we put on Jesus? Do we put him on us? And if we do that, then we can do these other things that are in chapters 14 and 15, like judging not. You know, let him be the judge. It's not up to us to judge. We need to have pure motivations. We can work to be more righteous and to bring peace and the Holy Ghost and serve and fellowship with one another. And again, in chapter 15, more of the gifts of the Spirit that have been poured out upon each of us. To quote verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. My friends, there's so many more things here that that we could go through forever. This hope, this joy, this peace, goodness, knowledge, helping one another, writing boldly. I mean, there's so many things. Ministering, grace, sanctification, striving to preach the gospel, to live together, to be good, to be refreshed. And this reminds me where we're going to wrap up. This reminds me of our, our whole focus of this show, verse 32 in chapter 15, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. My friends, this week, what will you do to work on self-mastery? Which things stand out the most as what you need now? And again, pick one thing, one thing. Maybe one a week, maybe one a month, maybe one a year, maybe just one for a lifetime. But do something. Ask Heavenly Father in your prayers. Pray with intent to know your gifts, and he will show you your gifts. And then you can get out there and develop and use them to serve him, to become more like him, the God of patience, the God of hope, the God of peace, the God of joy, the God of love. I know he lives. I know these words are true. My friends, I will be practicing self-mastery with you. 
And until next time, be sure to go to likeawatergarden.com, get our study guide, visit our Like a Water Garden discussion group on Facebook. And if you'd be so kind, just real quick, go leave us a review and send this or another episode on to a friend if you enjoyed it or if it helped you. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.